father's tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Coaches, welcome back to the Championship Vision, Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Today is episode 266. Today we have Coach Matt Dennis. He's the head boys basketball coach at Otswego High School in Otswego, Michigan. His topic today is the forced baseline defense. He's a former junior college basketball coach at Kalamazoo Valley Community College in Kalamazoo, Michigan is starting his six years of varsity boys basketball basketball coach at Asego High School in Michigan. In the first five seasons, his team have won four conference titles, been ranked in the top 10 in the state, and compiled a record of 84 and 18. He loves helping coaches of all levels learn the game and become better coaches through his coaching website, coachmattdennis.com. Coaches, let's welcome, we're so excited to have uh, Coach Matt on here to really share about his force baseline defense and his uh, great website that he has to support and help coaches out. Let's welcome Coach Matt Dennis. Coaches, welcome uh, to the Championship Vision Podcast. Uh, I haven't done one in a while, Matt. So here, I, I guess I'm back off the injured list, I guess. Uh, it's episode 266. Uh, we're so excited to have uh, Matt, Coach Matt Dennis from Otsego High School in, hopefully I said that correctly, in Otsego, Michigan. And um, he's just a great resource for uh, us coaches. Matter of fact, I've already looked at his website. I already picked up a couple of things to help, help me out. So, Coach Matt, you know, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you taking this time on a Sunday. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to chat basketball anytime you can talk basketball it's a good thing <laughs> and again i'd like to thank our sponsors is uh huddle and dr dish uh they're a big part of the championship partners in the championship vision podcast are always at my my clinic every year i know matt i can't do anything without dr dish and huddle i gotta tell you that much <laughs> so hey coach matt hey, tell us a lot about yourself on that i really like your story uh, even about how you came into coaching, then got back out, then came back mm -hmm. in. So uh, please tell us a little bit about your story, please. Yeah, I'll give you the, the Reader's Digest here as, as quick as I can. <laughs> um, you know, I always have loved, loved coaching the game, played at the community college level, and instead of moving on to the four-year, um, they needed an assistant coach. Uh, so our, our head coach said, hey, would you stick around? And I, that's what I wanted to do. So I hung my shoes up and uh, became the assistant coach at Kalamazoo Valley Community College, did it for five years. Um, and then I actually had to take a little time off there. I got hired at the college, but they kind of said, hey, you can coach or you can have the full-time gig. And I had a young family, so the, the full-time job was important. Um, did that for a couple of years, and then I switched over to working, uh, teaching at a local high school. Um, actually, I teach at Kalamazoo Central High School, and then I, I live and coach in Otsego. Um, so I took, took a little time off. Um, the head coach retired at KVCC and I decided 
you know, I would apply for the job and I was given the head coaching job. Did it for four years, absolutely loved it, had a lot of success there. Uh, but my family was growing in the time it took become great, greater and greater. At that level, you're scouting, you're recruiting, you're taking the long trips, you're doing everything, um, but you just don't have a, a big staff to do it with. So um, did that for four years and decided to step away to focus on my family, stepped away for a year and uh, the job in Otsego popped up. So uh, I got an email one day from somebody in the community said, hey, would you, did you ever think about coaching high school? So I applied for it. And now I'm in my sixth year at Otsego High School. And we have had tremendous um, success over the last five years. We've been uh, 84 and 18 overall. And 11 of those losses came my first year. So we were just kind of figuring it out that first year. And then we got it rolling. So uh, that, that's it in a nutshell. Um, but family's always been huge. And I, I love basketball as well. But when it comes down to it, if, if basketball is interfering with, you know, my kids and my wife and all that too much, then I've got to make my priorities, keep them straight. And so far we've been able to balance those at the high school level. Yeah. If you did a good job as a program builder, I'm definitely going to pick your brain. Uh, I'm at a new program this year, Matt. Um, I, I was recently at a small single a public school out here in Georgia and mm -hmm. had a lot of success. And I felt like I wanted the challenge of going to a bigger school. Uh, and it's a challenge. I just going to tell you, sure. that. I mean, it's, you know, I used to be a PE teacher. Now they have me in the classroom teaching credit recovery, okay. uh, you know, working with kids that, you know, are struggling a little bit, uh, but there, there's good and bad about, about that, you know, uh, but um, so I really want you to share with me on, you know, what are your key philosophies on coming into a program and what are you doing now to kind of build that culture? Sure. Uh, the the first thing from day one, and this was in the interview was, you know, I asked the, the, the principal and the athletic director and the other coaches in there, you know, what's your definition of success? And because my definition has never been about the wins and losses. My, my definition has been about building people, building young men um, who are built for others. And uh, that goes back. Jeffrey Marks wrote a book called Season of Life. Uh, it, was, it was a football book more than a basketball book, but that really stuck with me. And and I took that philosophy and said, hey, if we do things the right way and we come in every day to compete, we'll, we'll give ourselves a chance to win. And I, I you know, kind of tell the players that all the time, that I will do the absolute very best I can to put you in a position to win. But ultimately, it's up to you guys believing in each other and pulling for each other and, and then you guys making the plays. Um, and there will be times where I'll fail at it. There'll be times that you fail at it. We've got to give each other a little bit of grace. But uh, that's been the message every single year. And our players have really bought into that type of culture. Uh, and we just continue to build on it. It starts at the youth level, goes to the middle school, goes through the high school. You know, we're, a, we're a Division II school in Michigan. So uh, the biggest division is Division One, And uh, uh, so we're Division Two. And then goes down to division four. So we, we've got about 750 kids in our high school. And I don't get to pick from, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of kids every year. I get roughly 20 kids to try out for the team. We've got to select the best out of those 20. Uh, some years it's only been 12 and you just keep the 12 that you get. Right. So, so that's, that's kind of the message that we've put in. And then it's just been a lot of, you know, time. 
time getting the guys into the gym, time getting them in the summertime, um, getting them in the weight room when they want to get in there. And I don't do it myself by no means. I think, and that's, I guess that's something I want to say to young coaches out there specifically is you can't do it all by yourself. You'll just, you'll drive yourself crazy and you'll burn yourself out. So my assistants and my, um, my lower level coaches have been tremendous. So without them, we wouldn't have had the success that we've had. Yeah. How do you go about uh, finding, uh, I know here I, I found some really great people. I have one former player of mine that came as my assistant. Uh, I was very fortunate there. Um, how do you find good people? Like when you're going into a new school district, how can you help coaches out who are now, I mean, well, of course coaches have already started out their season, but mm -hmm. for the future, what do you recommend to find good people in your community? Well, I didn't come in with the idea that I'm going to clean house or that the other coach who was there before me did it all wrong. And I, I think that's a myth that coaches like to put out there sometimes too, is the coach before me did things a little bit different than I did, but he wasn't wrong. We all know that there are different ways and different strategies to win a game on the offense and defensive side. So there was, was some change in the philosophy of how we played. Um, in my first year, I kept the coaches that were there. I met with them and, uh, I thought that they were, they were on board. They, they loved coaching. They loved the kids. And I thought, all right, that's what we need first. And now I'll, I'll kind of show them what I want them to implement. So we implemented that. Uh, the next thing I did was I went down to our middle school coaches and I met with them and, uh, one, one coach in particular said, you know, I've been doing this over 20 years and this is the first time I've met with the varsity coach. Mm. And, and I said, I'm not an expert in middle school basketball, but I'll share with you what I'm doing at the varsity level and what we're doing at the high school. And I want you guys to pick and choose the things that you think are appropriate for the middle school. Anything you can give them is going to help us. And they, they were on board with that. So we had good, good success there. And then a year after I was the head coach, I jumped down to our youth program and we changed from a five on five league to a three on three league. And that took a little convincing with the community because that was that was different yeah. for them. They liked the five on five. Um, and I'll give you just a, a brief recap here of how I did it was I went to the girls varsity coach and I said, look, if we play three on three. We can have them go on both ends of the court. Six kids on the floor, two basketballs. We go five on five. We got 10 kids with one basketball. I said, I like 12 with with two basketballs much better. Um, and then we went over some other details and things. And then we went out to the community and we promoted it and, and it, uh, they signed on. And so that's how we've done it ever since. Um, so that's how the program kind of as a shell was put together. Now, in terms of coaching, we've had a little bit of turnover because as we all know, high school, middle school coaching doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> you know, you, yes. you've got to do other things. Uh, I've been extremely blessed um, this year. My JV coach, he just came from the ninth grade level, jumped up to the JV. He is an elementary school teacher in the neighboring community, lives in Otsego, teaches uh, over in Allegan. And he is all about just coaching, learning, connecting with kids. Uh, he's been a year, uh, an educator for 25 years had never coached any more than the youth level before I hired him as a freshman coach. And he said, I, I think, uh, I think if you give me three years, I might turn into a pretty good coach, but it's going to take me at least three. Right. And I just said, with your attitude and the way that you're approaching things, uh, we're going to be just fine. Uh, so we've worked together and we, we still do a, a nice job together. Now his son uh, played for me for one year, my first year. And 
he graduated from Michigan State University. He's now teaching in the district and uh, he's my freshman coach. So I've got a unique thing there where I've got his dad as a JV and then his son Cam is our, our freshman coach. Uh, and then the middle school coaches, there has been a little bit of turnover, but it's always been the same. We meet once a year in the beginning of the fall. And I say, hey, guys, this is what we're doing. I'd like you guys to implement what you think will work. It's a short season, I know. And they've always been receptive to that. So yeah, I, I just leave it open to, do you like kids? Do you want to connect with them? I, it, sure. It's not a basketball resume to me. Right. Now, certainly, if you got some background in it, that's great. But I mean, I've had some people interested in working in the program and they've got a good college resume or they've coached a long time places, but I just don't know that they're a good fit. So I look for the personality first and then I go from there and say, can you be part of our team? If you've got the right attitude, then we'll, we'll kind of give you the tools you need to coach the game. And that's that's worked so far. Yeah. And I do notice and give me your opinion really quick, Max. I know we're going to get on to your the topic is I do notice that particularly out here in Atlanta, uh, we're right, we're right near Atlanta and so forth. Mm-hmm. And in Georgia, there's a lot of connection to AAU programs. You got AAU coaches, assistant coaches, a lot of connections okay. there, which is good and bad. I mean, I my well, I have one assistant that runs our travel program, a uh, young guy who loves to coach and so forth. Uh, tell me the good and bad about Michigan basketball and the connection with AAU. Well, I, I've had a positive experience with it. I know there are different feelings from different coaches out there, but in my opinion, no matter what program our high school players go and play and they have the ball in their hands, they're out there, you know, on the court getting better. And and that's what I want. So when they come back after the summer is over and they've played in all these AAU tournaments and stuff, you know, I think they're better for it. Now, the philosophies are different. Sometimes the attitudes are a little different and they've got to buy into what we're doing as a program. But in in general, um, I I haven't had any negative run-ins with AAU programs. Now, when I coached at the college level, at least coached at the community college level, I had a lot more connection with those programs when you're recruiting kids to come in and, and play for you. At the high school level, there's not as much connection in in terms of uh, constant communication with them, but I've gotten to know enough of the people and I, most of them in this area have been all about the kids. There hasn't been a whole lot of negative things that have gone on. They're they're really trying to give the kids an opportunity to play or to be seen. And I I appreciate the work and the time that they put in. Absolutely on that. And I, Hey, we're going to dive in. Hopefully you can see the screen here. I'm sharing your screen. Um, Mm -hmm. Hopefully it'll come up really quick. Is it coming up? Yep, they've got it. I, I think so here. It's coming. Yeah, yeah. hopefully it comes up okay. Hey, uh, before we get into it, um, is talk about, you know, I, I as, as I, I force baseline as my, mm-hmm. um, in, in our man-to-man, we call our five defense. Um, what, what, why do you guys are, why are we calling it a force baseline defense? Coaches, this is Coach Matt Dennis, and I'm truly excited and blessed to join Coach Furtado on the Championship Vision Podcast. If you're a coach looking to get better at your craft, you're really going to love this episode. If you'd like more great coaching content, I encourage you to check out other episodes on the podcast, as well as to head over to CoachMattDennis.com, where you can join my newsletter and sign up for a free trial of the Coaching Lab, where my goal is to help coaches find more success in less time. um... Sure. But go over that again, what you were saying, coach, and so forth on that. We missed a lot of that. 
and I'll, okay. I'll, I'll edit that out. Okay. Oh, the, the way that we, we approach it is we want the ball to get on the, the side of the court. Once it's on the side, then we're going to force it down to the baseline. And the reason that I, I do it that way is because most teams play the pack line and they want to you know pack everything in and they used to running against that in practice. And I think if you're practicing against it every day and now all of a sudden you see you know, a forced baseline defense, you've got to adjust or you've got to try to figure things out in a day or two. And, and that's different than what you've been doing every day in practice up to that point. So I, I like the fact that it's different and it makes the teams have to spend time learning something new. I think that gives us an advantage where we see pack line almost every night that we go out on the floor. So it's not anything necessarily new to us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and before you get into that and so forth, um, Michigan basketball, talk a little bit about that and why, because, uh, you know, we, we play a lot of zone and so forth and matchup zone. Uh, why is man-to-man defense it, it's so important at your level to be teaching? Well, we do see zone, uh, but that's not the majority of what it, we're seeing, obviously. It, it's man-to-man for us. And I think if you, if you start with the man-to-man, it's easier to go over to the zone and right. teach some of those principles. So even in our program, we have kind of um, – just sprinkled in some zone concepts. And you'll see, as we talk about it, the, the backside of a force baseline defense is a zone. So, you know, that help side really is a zone um, kind of philosophy. So you marry the two together. And, and I, I think it's a whole lot easier for kids to adjust from going to be aggressive and forcing one way. Now I say, all right, we're going to play a two, three, but we're going to use some of these same principles. It clicks with them right away versus we started with the zone and now we're going to ask them to start playing pressure. I think a lot of people have that zone in mind. Oh, we're going to lay back. We're going to play in our areas. And we, when we do any type of zone, we still want it to be a very pressure oriented defense. We don't want to lay back and let them do what they want to. Yeah. So, you know, some of the, talk about your, your basic concepts here and so forth. Uh, I don't think you already covered that, but go ahead with your basic concepts. You can Matt. Yeah, so basic concepts in it, we play the ball straight up when it's in between the lane lines up at the top of the key. So we call it 50-50, the, the point guard or whoever has the ball could go to the right or to the left, um, you know, 50% either way. Uh, we really want to invite the ball to the sideline. So this kind of jumps down a little bit here, but we don't deny the wing. And I know a lot of, a lot of teams will do that when they're forcing the baseline. We want the ball to go to the wing. And as soon as it gets on the wing, we jump all over it. And now we're playing 80-20. Basically what that's saying is 80% of the, you know, the, the player with the ball, we want them to think that they can go baseline. So we're saying 80% of the time you can go towards the baseline and you got a 20% chance of going in to the middle. And that's really where we don't want the ball to be. Um, but I found if you, if you kind of do a hundred zero, so play it so far up that hundred percent of the time they'll go towards the baseline, you give up the basket too much. So you've got to position yourself just slightly angled so that there is a little chance that they could go to the middle, but most players will pick the easiest route and that's at 80% towards the baseline. So that, that's kind of how we, we teach it to our players is an 80, 20 rule uh, in the post. We front the post. We think that that's the hardest pass for a perimeter player to make into the post. Not only do you have to worry about your defender at the perimeter level, you've also got to worry about the post defender and the help side defender. So you've got three people to pay attention to. And we've had a lot of success with that. Uh, now that's a mindset thing. 
kids have to want to play hard down there because you know you can't get behind the post and and expect it to be as effective so our kids have to do their work early uh and then communication i have seen coaches you know give their kids a list of 20 things to say and i i can't remember that many things to say you know so we ask them to say three things we always want to know who's on the ball so they call that out we always want want to know who's low so that's a person under the hoop in the help side they got to yell low and then who our help defenders are Uh, if we can get those three things down we've communicated enough to everybody on the floor where we are and i believe that that communication helps you be more aggressive because the on the ball person knows that there's somebody low the low person knows somebody that, that there's a help person there um and we all can play just a little bit harder talk about fronting the post really quick are you doing a complete front uh or are you doing a side denial to, uh, type front no it, when it's in the the kind of the middle to the low post it's a hundred percent you know denial we're, we're all the way in front of them uh, the post players tend to push themselves out farther than they want to be to fight over that. And I feel like that gets them out of the low post area anyways, um, kind of accomplishes the goal that we want uh, when they're in the high post, then we'll half front because we don't want to give them their, you know, that 15 feet from the free throw line down to the hoop. That's just too much room to make a lob pass over the top. Now we have not been particularly tall. So that's important to, to note. If you got a six, nine kid, um, playing a, a, another six, nine or a six, six kid or whatever. If you're in the girls game, if you got a six, one or six, two girl, you know, that changes a lot. Our bigs have been six, three, six, four, most of the time. And that's not very big in our league. There's been six, 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 seven, six, eight, um, just kind of depending on who you go up against. So we feel like hundred percent fronting the post gives us the best chance to, to k- stay competitive. Otherwise they're going to shoot over the top of us. Yeah. And, and are you worried there about, um, you know, not blocking out. I mean, they get the ball over the top or you just, you want them to throw the ball over the top. We, we want them to, because our help side defender uh, is there. And we tell the help side person, when you see that ball lobbed up, your job is you don't have to grab it, but you need to poke it out of there and you need to keep that ball alive. And we have had a lot of success when teams try to go in the post. Now it has been kind of interesting. The first few years, there were more post players these last you know year or two and i think even going into this year um teams have have gone to more of a a five out type spread or it's a four out one in but that one person down low constantly changes rotates so it's not a true post um i'd say that that's made it a little bit different when they have a true post player then fronting the post and having that help side there all the time has been super effective for us. But these teams that really don't have a true post and they're running people in and out, um, we still run it the same way, but they don't try to punch the ball in as much. So it's, it's not that pass isn't made as often because I think that it's easier to reverse it or try to do something else with it uh, when we give a little bit of resistance. So either way, we've kind of accomplished what we've wanted to, but um, it has been slightly different since we aren't going against true posts all the time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Matt, uh, obviously you're not denying the wing, so you're more in help, correct? Yeah. Yeah, we, we stay a step off the, the wing and then a step up towards the ball. Now, I have had teams or in our scouting report, if we think that we're more athletic, we will deny it to a particular player. Um, I shouldn't even say if we're more athletic. I should say if they have a, an elite scorer or shooter that we don't want the ball to go to, we will deny one side 
to try to get them to go away from that player. That has been a pretty effective approach for us. Uh, but in general, that's, that's scouting report, you know, material. That's not do it against everybody. Uh, we play a step off and a step up. And as soon as that ball gets passed from the top of the key down to the wing, that's when we get up on the high side and we give them that 80, 20, 80% towards the baseline. Yeah. And, and the, your next concept here, and I, I'm, um, and I, I really believe in this theory and we're still working on this, Matt, is we call it hand on ball. I mean, we want to have handball pressure at all times. That's so hard to teach, particularly to girls sometimes because they, you know, sometimes they want to be safe and not get beat. So you guys are all about pressure defense on the ball, yeah. correct? Yeah, we are. We want our players to be arm's length away. And I think, you know, a lot of coaches use that same philosophy. Our biggest thing is uh, we teach every kid, the football player who's just playing basketball because it's fun, uh, all the way to the kid who has the potential to be a college player. Uh, you all can guard every position for one possession. Okay, so our five man, you don't move your feet great. You can guard the point guard for one possession and you can do it with, with a lot of pressure. And our kids buy into it and they really bust their can um, try, trying to, to do what we ask them to do. And of course, we switch off when we can. We don't like to have those matchups very often, but we don't want guys to lay back four or five feet and let them take a look at it. Which if And I, I call it pretty defense. I tell the guys, you can play pretty defense where you're down in a stance and your hands are up, but you're four feet away and you're not bothering that person at all. Right. Or you can play aggressive defense and that's where you're down in a stance and you're close enough to, you know, get your hand on them and they have to put it in their pocket, the ball in their pocket, or they've got to rip the ball across their body. That tells me that our defense is pressure that we're being effective. But if they put the ball above their head and you start seeing them kind of look for that pass, we're not bothering them. That's just pretty defense. And we don't want to be pretty. We want to be aggressive. Yeah. I love that. All right, talk about the tweaks that can be made. Um, and uh, again, going back to, uh, and I guess you have a small team. I'm trying to relate it to what we have. Uh, mm -hmm. We have a very small team. However, we're not tremendously quick at every position, even though we're small. Uh, so talk a little bit about, you know, getting the right matchups, correct? It, yeah, we pressed. And, and I know that, Earlier, we had both talked about, you know, the press being something that that can help a team out our matchups. And I almost hesitate to give the guys matchups at the beginning of the game, because when we start pressing teams, it doesn't really matter. Whoever you're closest to when we transition back into the half court defense, if the press doesn't get a turnover, that's who you're guarding. Now, we will switch here and there when we can, uh, but you might get matched up against somebody completely different than that I gave you, you know, when we were in the locker room coming out for the tip off. Um, so we start the ball pressure, even if let's say we're not pressing in our transition defense, let's say it's a missed basket. We ask our, our point guard or our two guard to pick the ball up full court. Mm -hmm. And, and I, my philosophy is you're trying to wear the point guard out. The first thing you're trying to do is wear them out physically. We're going to make them play all 94 feet. So we can rotate some players in, um, to, to keep that pressure up if we need to. Uh, the second thing is we're trying to make it so they can't pay attention to the coach. They can't pay attention to the play being called. They can't be paying attention to uh, whatever the coach is asking them to do from the sidelines because they have to worry about us defensively. Um, and I think that leads to wearing them out mentally. 
is that they're constantly trying to figure out what to do against the pressure. How do they set up the, the play? How do they get the ball to the person they need to get it to? How do they pay attention to the coach? How do they keep their breath? It, and that the first half, what's happened is a lot of teams stay with us. And in the third and the fourth quarter, that's when we tend to kind of run away on some teams because they start to get wore out. The, the point guard makes one or two bad decisions and gets frustrated. The coach is getting upset, calling timeouts. And that's why I feel like, all right, we got them where we want them, you know? Um, so it starts with the ball pressure in the full court, whether it's pressing or just picking them up and then get the ball to the sideline. If we can get them to get it out of the middle of the four, that's when our pressure really picks up and everybody rotates over. Um, the handing uh, the dribblers off to people, we want to keep constant pressure. If there's any dri uh, dribble handoffs, uh, we do trap some of the ball screens. Just That's kind of scout re scouting report-based stuff. Um, so we'll do things against different players, but all of it is constant pressure all the time. Don't ever let them be able to take a breath without us being right there. Yeah, you mentioned a couple situations, trapping side ball screens. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, obviously, you got to have good rotation on that as well. Why, why do you do that? Well, when, when it's a side ball screen, we, we hedge almost all ball screens. The, the hard hedge is much more difficult at the top of the key. Uh, than it is on the wing. But when it is on the wing, it plays right into our defense. If we'll hard hedge on those side ball screens, it forces the player to go towards the baseline. So we, we have two opportunities. We can either trap that or we can stay with our regular help side rotation and we can let that ball go towards the baseline, which is where we wanted in the beginning. So I feel like it's a win-win for us. Uh, at the top of the key, a little bit different. We've got to look at how quick the player is. What are they trying to get out of it? Uh, if they're going for the the post player on the roll, our help side becomes uh, really important to us. If they're looking to drive or to get a shot for the ball handler, then it's a matter of do we go over or under the screen. So th there is some adjustments that we make there. Um, but players, naturally, in my opinion, they, they don't want to hard hedge a ball screen because it's hard work. It is hard, yeah. yeah. So, so it's not the easiest way to do it. But we start from day one. This is how we're going to play it. And a kid knows that if they don't hard hedge um, those screens, on the, especially on the side, that, that that's a reason they need to come out. We need to put somebody else in who's ready to do that hard work. That's right. Um, so so it, it's part of the culture, though. I have to say, at our lower levels, we don't do that as much because a ninth grade trying to hard hedge everything, some of those kids, their bodies go in one direction and their minds go in the other. And who knows where the ball is? So they just haven't hit their stride athletically yet. So we do ice some ball screens and things like that at the lower levels. But at the varsity level, um, we try to hard hedge as much as we can. And then we'll alter it based upon scouting report as needed. Yeah. And the mindset here, I love that. It's all about trust, right? And that, that's mm -hmm. something we're working on right now, Matt. Um, you're going to be my consultant probably for the next <laughs> week or two or longer. Um, I don't think our team really trusts each other yet. It's a new, there are a lot of new kids coming together. Uh, how do you create that mindset of trust? My philosophy is it starts off the court. Uh, we have two and a half hour practices and the first half an hour to 40 minutes is, is in a team room um, or in the locker room. Uh, it just kind of depends what's available to us that day. Uh, we do everything from, you know, watching game film to, um, playing a game like actually I just posted before we got on here about a team building activity that we did and somebody messaged me and said what are you guys doing in that uh, and that was on, on Twitter that I posted it okay um, but if the kids will communicate and have fun 
off the court, I think that translates to what we do on the court. So I've always been huge in, we do that team building stuff before we get on the court. And then we, we tell them that, look, look at the way you guys are talking to each other. Look at the way you guys are pointing, you're laughing, you're having fun. Why can't we do that on the floor? And then when we get in a position on the floor where somebody's really helping out and doing what they're supposed to, encourage them, go tell them that you, you know, thank them for what they're doing. And we relate it back to what we did in that team room. Um, so that's where it starts for me. It starts off the court and we bring it onto the court. And then we have this philosophy of do 100% of your job and 10% of somebody else's. If you're trying to do exactly what we're asking, you slip, you, you make a, a miscalculation and the players look quicker than you thought. Your teammate should have your back to, to help you 10%. You know, they should be able, and they, they can still get back and do what they need to do. But this do 100% of your job, 10% of somebody else's job mentality means that none of us are going to be left on an island. We're, we've all got somebody who's going to help us out. Um, and and that, that's worked. Our players have bought into that. We also tell the players on the backside of our defense, you know, our help side typically has two players on it. And if there's a skip pass, if there's a quick reversal pass, uh, then you guys are scrambling. Whoever can get there the fastest, that's your man. So you may think, well, he's closer. Well, if he's, he might be closer, but you may be faster. You may have noticed it sooner. So you get there first and he's going to adjust to what you did. And that's the mentality that nobody waits for the other guy to do it. We get out and do it first and then the other person will adjust to us. So that, that's kind of how, how we're teaching it. Certain players are better than others, but uh, overall, our, our guys have bought into that and they, they work their tails off. And so at, more athletic guys can get it done a little quicker than the other guys, but they're still all working. Yeah. And how long did it take, Matt, when you first came in there? How long did it take to build that type of culture, particularly on the defensive side? Yeah, well, the, the first year that I was here, um, we went 11 and 11. Now, Otsego had a very good run. They had, you know, a seven-footer that had come through it and a couple other smaller college players. But a seven-footer went on to play at Western Michigan University, and they played a 2-3. And it was a great defense when you got a seven-footer who's athletic. Um, but then he graduated. They went 3-18 and 18 the next year. And then the, the coach left, and I came in after that. So I had most of those 3-18 and 18 players. And I didn't know what we were going to do. And we ended up going 11 and 11. And some people I thought, you know, they thought I was kind of a magician that we were able to get 11 wins out of it. Um, So they bought into it, but you could tell the mindset was a little bit, uh, they had to think about it. They were half a step late. They didn't really know, can I trust that guy next to me or behind me? My second year here, we went 19 and two and everybody was bought in. The kids who had a second year in the system bought into it. Now, I'll, I'll go back to when I was at the junior college level. My first year as a junior college coach, um, we were eight and 22. So we weren't, weren't real great. Um, didn't have any return, one returner, take it back. We had one returner from a team that was very successful from the previous coach. Um, my second year, we were 22 and eight, ranked number five in the country. Most of those were the kids who came back. So I'm gonna say it took two years to really get the, the guys to understand it. But once they did, it became contagious. The new recruits we came in got it. The, the sophomores who come up to be juniors now, they see how hard you have to work and they start to get it. So it took that second year. And then at both schools, it, we kind of ran with it from there. Yeah. And that, that's a great message for um, all coaches, including myself. It, 
it takes time. You know, I've been doing this a long time. You can't just walk in there as a coach and expect everything to go smoothly. Right. It takes time to build the trust on both sides. It, it does. And it's, it's so different at the high school level than even the junior college level where I was at, because the high school level, I get to pick from the kids who come out for the team that year and the kids who are in our program. So if there's a freshman or sophomore who's got some talent, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, at the college level, you can go out and try to find a kid that, that fits your system that you really want to have in there. So there are two different mentalities, but the system has stayed the same. It doesn't matter what level you're at. Getting the kids to believe in what you're doing and then believe in each other, that's where it starts, no matter what system you're running. And once you get the belief, everything else, it's not easy, but it becomes easier because they buy into it. They're not questioning, really? You know, well, we didn't do it that way before. Well, that's not how we, we ran things. Um, so once it becomes, this is what we do, then they start to really have fun with it. And they start seeing some success in games and it's, it's great. Yeah. And there's always that turning point somewhere, right? I'm sure you had, I, I know you remember this too, man. You probably had a turning point either practice or game where things started turning around there, right? Oh, de definitely. We had, um, you know, when you start to, to get a little taste of the turnovers you can create and the bad shots that you get teams to, to take. I don't know if the players recognize it in the moment, but when we go to the film the next day, and I'm a coach that says very little after games. We win, we lose. I keep it really short because I, I don't know who said it first, but you're never quite as bad as you thought you were. You're also never quite as good as you think you are. Right. Uh, but we go back and I'll pick out like six or seven plays where we forced a bad shot, where we got a turnover, uh, where our hard play led to somebody else getting the steal. And that's when I think you have the light bulb moments and they start saying, you know what? You know, that did make a big difference. We went on an eight nothing run and I didn't score, but I created the turnovers. I got the tips. And that's when I think they started believing in each other. Uh, the, the flip side of this on the offensive end is if you're going to trust your teammates defensively, then you also have to be willing to share the ball offensively. If you make the extra pass and you'll be unselfish, I think players will play harder for each other. So it, this becomes a whole program team philosophy is that we can't have a complete team effort on the defensive end and then have one guy come down and just jack the ball up on the offensive end. That kills it all. So, so we take the team approach on both ends of the floor. Now, certainly we do have a leading scorer and we have a guys who are better shooters. You have to know where your place is. Um, but it's never a one-man team on the offensive end. It's team on defense. It's team on the offense. And I think the guys buy into that because it's a consistent message. Yeah, that's a great point, Coach. And, hey, I'm really curious about your step-out habit drills. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about that a little bit. And, um, and I'm looking forward to, you know, hopefully I can get some videos from you on this. But it sounds like a great concept. Well, this is kind of how we start teaching it. So everything from our, our summer camp that we hold before we go into a team camps and stuff, uh, to our preseason conditioning in the first couple of days of practice. Uh, we basically are lining up players on a sideline and have them all face one direction. And then we ask them to get in a nice wide stance and I'll blow the whistle and they take a step out or they take a step towards the middle of the floor. Uh, and it's very, very deliberate. So I'll blow the whistle a second time and they'll take a second step and I might blow it a third time and they'll take a third step. We want to start teaching them how to step out and keep their chest in front of the ball. 
That's the idea. Uh, and then we speed it up where the whistles become a little bit quicker. So we blow the whistle once, we blow it twice. And on that second whistle, they turn and they sprint. Uh, we only teach our players that, that two shuffle steps is all you're going to get. Most of the time it's one. But the second um, shuffle step, you're going to turn your hips and you're going to run with that person. And that's thinking, you know, now we're transitioned to a game. We've got up on the high side on the wing. We're forcing them baseline. We don't want to give a direct line drive from the wing to the hoop. So that's we need to take at least one step towards the baseline. And then we can turn our hips and that's going to drive them uh, somewhere where the lane line and the end line meet. So they're not going towards the hoop. They're actually going below, below that almost to the, maybe the, the corner of the backboard. Um, but these step out habit drills are things that are real deliberate that give us the, those habits that we want to see in games. Now we'll transition that into playing some one-on-one -on -one. and we know we're going to give up some things, but, we tell the players with the ball. So let's say we're at the top of the key, uh, the offensive player, you're going to drive to the right defensive player. You know, where he's going. You've got two shuffle steps to keep him outside the lane. Uh, then we do it the other way. Offensive player, you're going to the left. We do it a few times that way. And then ultimately it's, it's live. All right. You guys got to be 50, 50 and your, your balance on your feet and the offensive player, you can play however you want. Um, and, and it is, it is a challenge, but what we found is that it starts to train the players to keep their chest up, take that step out. We want to keep the ball outside the lanes when it's at the top of the key, when we get to the wing, we want to make sure they don't drive middle. The biggest mistake players make in this defense is, um, the wing tries to drive middle and they just open themselves up. They just turn and pivot and, you know, they they can go right into the middle that will really hurt this defense. So we want to keep our chest up. So we want to step towards the half court line. If they're going towards the middle, that'll keep them out of it. If they're going to the baseline, like I said, we step towards the baseline and then we try to drive them down towards the, the corner of the backboard area. So the drills kind of go over um, the drill. What did the offensive player just take in? Is he trying to beat them or is he just taking one dribble, two dribbles? How does that work? Yeah, we'll, we'll give them, typically we give them three dribbles uh, in any kind of one-on-one -on -one drill that we do. And that helps to teach the offensive player that your dribbles need to go somewhere. They need to count. You, you aren't going to get, you know, three crossovers, a spin move between the legs, you know, all of the, all the things that we've seen on, on social media of guys doing. Um, so we will start them with uh, three dribbles, sometimes two, just depending if the kid is extremely quick and uh, we'll say, you got two dribbles, you got to be able to get somewhere in those two dribbles. So that's, that's how we start, put a little constraints on the offense. And then, like I said, with the defense, we tell them exactly what the offensive player is going to do in the beginning. So they get used to those, the footwork, sure. but after we've done it a few times, then it's, it's live, you know, offensive guy, you got three dribbles. You're trying to score. If you can score, you know, maybe, the other guy's got a couple push-ups or something, um, but it's a way to train it. And in a game, you have other people there to help you. So you're not left on an island here. So the, the drill is certainly harder than the game is. Right, for sure. Uh, and your progression here, um, eventually you go live, correct? You're not, are you, you're not going live at the beginning? Are you just right. telling them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the progression would be get them on the sideline and have them take those deliberate you know, steps on my whistle. Uh, just to train their muscles, train, you know, what it's going to feel like. Uh, and then we speed it up. And then ultimately we'd go from that into like a four on four shell drill or something like that, where they're going to have to be, they're going to be put in a position to use those shuffle steps and to turn their hips and to run. 
Um, but if I, I feel like if I put them in the four on four first, there are, they need to learn to walk before they can run. Sure. And we just ask them to run. And especially the young kids, like if we bring up a sophomore or there's a junior coming up from the JV, there's so much for them to learn. We need to take a couple of baby steps in the beginning, but this isn't stuff that we go back to real often. This is in the beginning. This is camp stuff. And once they get it, then we say, you guys know how to do it. it there's no excuse to, to not get it done the right way. So. Yeah. If you see it breaking down as the season goes along, uh, maybe halfway through the season, you go back to that because it is a mechanical thing physically. I know with girls, Matt, this is hard for girls because it takes power in the legs. Mm -hmm. and the, I mean, it's not that easy at the girls. Right. It, yeah, it, it certainly does. It takes a lot of power. And if a, a point guard or a, a player is really shifty with the ball, they may go to the right one step and then they cross over and go to the left. And that's hard to adjust your, your momentum, you know, and your weight shifting from one direction to the other direction. Um, and, and that's part of the reason we do it is to get it the feel for it. Um, so it, it certainly isn't easy, but at the same time, once they start to get it, we, like I said, we don't really go back and revisit it until the beginning of the next year. But if I saw a player struggling with that, I would certainly go over and say, all right, this is something that I want you to do before practice. This is something that I want you to do after practice, just like free throws. If we're missing free throws, you need to shoot, you know, 20 free throws, or you need to shoot five one and ones after practice, whatever it is, because that's part of your game that needs to be worked on. I would do the same thing with our defensive stuff, but it's more individually based. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I don't think we as coaches do enough of that. I call them reminders. I have my assistant coaches constantly giving reminders to the kids on the side for just, you know, skill development errors, decision mm -hmm. errors, things like that. Is that how you guys operate in your practices? It, it is, but I, I have one assistant coach, you know, my dad is my assistant coach. He, he does a tremendous job. Um, but a lot of times it's all right. You watch the offense. I watch the defense. You watch the guards. I watch the post kind of, we kind of do that when I was at the college level and I had three guys helping me, we would have them pull them over to the side. So we do those reminders, but we put a lot of, um, stress on the kids and saying like, Hey, you have time before and after practice, and we're always willing to come early and stay late with you, but we need you to take the ownership on it. If the only reason you're going to do this is because the coach is telling you to do it, then somebody's going to pass you up. I mean, there's other guys who are willing to work that hard. Um, but if you'll work that hard, then that could be more minutes for you. That's more shots. That's more reps. That's whatever it is. Um, and the, Every kid is a little bit different, but we try to really promote your growth as a player depends on you the most. And we're here to support that, but we can't make it. We, I had a teacher, um, a colleague of mine that used to always tell the, tells the kids, uh, I'm willing to work hard, but I can't work harder than you. And that's kind of the message to the players. I'm willing to work hard, but I can't work harder than you as a player. It's, it's up to you. That's a great point. Um, it's very similar to going in for tutoring uh, for the teachers. I mean, it's the same, mm -hmm. same thing. Um, coach talk about your banana cut closeouts. Yep. So closeouts in this defense is specifically when teams want to try to skip the ball or reverse it quickly. Um, you, you can't close straight out on, on a player if you do. And I feel like that's kind of a pack line sort of, um, 
close out is you're offering them a 50 50 chance to go right or left we're not offering them that 50 50 so we talk about it being a banana cut we want to get up to the high side and we want to make the offensive player feel like they've got an 80 percent chance to go to the baseline and that's what we want you to take that 20 percent going into the middle it's going to be much harder um, to do and we, we don't want them to look at that and i'd say most offensive players especially on the left side of the floor because most kids aren't left-handed right they go to the path of least resistance always so they always take that left-hand baseline um, with the right-hand side, I feel like they, they know they can take it, but they're, they also feel like I can dribble once or twice with my left into the middle, you know, and I'll be okay. So they're a little bit more likely to, to gamble with it. Um, so it's, uh, the banana, it's more of a concept to get a, an image in our player's mind about how they should be closing out. And they know if they don't do a banana closeout, that player has a chance just to drive right past them on the high side. And they know when they're beat. And you can kind of see it in their face, like, oh, no, coach is going to get on me now. Yeah, that's a great teaching point right there. I never did think like that. Um, and, Coach, I really want you to talk about, uh, as far as these drills go, are you grading them or are you making it competitive? How do you add competition to the drills? We do add some competition to them. Uh, when we go one-on-one -on -one with this banana cut drill, um, you're really giving up the baseline. And we tell the kids that if you do your job, the offensive player is going to go baseline and they're probably going to get a layup on you in this drill because we have no help side here. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, we will transition this into a two-on-two -two where we have a help side defender. And now when they drive baseline, we're going to trap that on the baseline. Um, and what, what the offensive player tends to do is skip pass to, to his teammates since it's two on two. And we ask the kids, we want you to bust your can, get out there and challenge that shot. Offensively, uh, we want the player to shoot it. We want you to shoot under a little bit of pressure. So we make it competitive, but it's not until we get into the three on three where we can truly be competitive in it because two on two, we're still giving up that skip pass a lot more than you would normally. Absolutely. Let's get right onto your shell drills. Four on three, four on four, and disadvantage drills. Yeah, so the, the shell drills, we love doing four on four, four on three stuff, even you know five on four, anything that gives us a disadvantage. Sometimes the disadvantage is having less defenders, and that means that players are going to have to scramble. This is true on the backside of the defense. Um, if there is a skip pass of some kind, our help side defenders have to scramble out and, and get to the ball. They, and they aren't going to be guarding the same person they were guarding before all the time. Uh, so this kind of mimics some of that scramble on the backside. Um, but most of the time, the, the skip pass isn't made to, you know, their best shooter or it isn't made to the best player. That's who they got the ball to the first time. And then we got them to give the ball up and get it to a second, third, fourth scorer. And, and now we, we feel like we can scramble out there and we can get out and that kid's not going to have the, same potential to score against us uh, but there are times when we say we go four on four we'll put the defense at a disadvantage like we'll whoever's guarding the ball you might start on the side of them rather than in front of them so the other kids have to help out and stop the drive and then we've got to catch up because that's more true of what happens on a rebound and the ball is passed really quick uh, so we did some disadvantage stuff you have the same number of players but we've positioned you in a way that that it, it's going to be a little scramble to begin with uh, so anything like that, it's, if it's game-like, we want to add it in there and get our kids comfortable playing a little chaotic because I think a lot of possessions end that way in the game. 
Coach, talk about, and it looks like your eye. Um, yeah. it, please talk about that. We, we, we call the same thing in our eye formation in the paint. Please uh, discuss that a little bit. Well, in the beginning of the year when we're teaching the defense, we want the kids and the help side to be, you know, split the center of the floor right down the middle. Uh, so that's kind of the center of the eye that we have there. As we get into it a little bit and the kids get comfortable with things, we tell them we want two feet in the paint. So that, that means you're going to be just below the free throw line or just above um, where the rim is, depending if you're the high man or the low man. But we need to get at least two feet in the paint. And then you've got to judge how quick you are to how quick the offensive player is. And if you make the wrong judgment, then as coaches, we're going to correct that and we're going to, to help you out. But I've found a lot of players, uh, they, they understand where their limitations are or if they're a little bit more athletic and, and they can get away with it. So we give them a little bit of leeway in that eye formation as to how far in the middle they need to be. But in the beginning, everybody is in the middle of that eye to start. Yeah. And, and, you know, we call it sprint to help. Uh, mm -hmm. Probably. I mean, I, for some reason, uh, you can get it done in practice, but we're still working on that concept. Uh, how do you get your players really focusing on getting to that help? Uh, film. I mean, that, that's the best way to show them when we're not doing it correctly. Um, especially these, we haven't played any games yet. We just finished up our last scrimmage and we're going to games this week. Um, but we got kids who are in a great position initially and then yeah they get caught watching the ball seeing where it's going or watching a player and not like you said sprinting to the help or sprinting to where they need to get for a trap or um on a ball screen or something and i tell the kids you think you're playing really hard and i, I appreciate that you you believe you do but let's watch the film and then you tell me how hard you're playing and i think when they see it in the film and they remember what we talked about you know, right. nine out of 10 times, the kid's like, yeah, you were right, coach. You're right. And then there's always that one who wants to come up with a little bit of an excuse. And um, then we got to do a little more coaching there. But <laughs> so I can't say it's 100% perfect. Yeah. And I love um, uh, saving. They, they had a, something on Twitter today about, and I think I think I re, or retweeted it, but, you know, the values of Alabama football, number one, no excuses, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's every year. You know, and especially at the JV level, the kids can get away with a couple things because you're a little more athletic. But when you jump up to the varsity, you find that gap closes really fast. And those same uh, those same little cheats that you used, they don't work quite the same way. Uh, it's eye opening for some kids. Yeah, and I got I I we brought up eight freshmen from a from a really good middle school program mm. this year, and it's like, I mean, it, it's it's tough on them because they're used to just kind of just going through the motions, relying on talent. And now they're playing against kids that are actually better than them. Now yeah. they're pretty good players, but they're older. And, you know, I mean, they're, but um, that's where the struggle comes in because they gotten away with a lot of stuff. Oh, oh definitely. You, <laughs> you sometimes don't know what you don't know until you get there and it, it just smacks you and you find out you're not the fastest or the strongest or, you know, the other kids can dribble too. You know, right. but middle school, there's a, there's, it's all over the place. So you can get away with some stuff sometimes. Exactly. Hey, I really, I was looking at this drill the other day, your Michigan defense drill, and I definitely want to pick up a drill that's called Michigan. You know, um, <laughs> now I got to tell you, I went to the University of Georgia now, coach. So, okay. hey, 
and I know Michigan right now is playing good football, but uh, my dogs are a little upset right now. Right. Oh, I bet. I bet they didn't things didn't go the way they wanted the other day. Exactly. Uh, well, well, this the Michigan defense drill uh, really was taken from the women's program um, at, at the University of Michigan, and I've loved it. This is my favorite drill, defensive drill that we do. Okay. Once the once the kids get all of the components of it you know, how we play the top of the key, how we front the post, how we play the wing, then we need to put them in kind of a chaotic position to do that. So what we do is we put the defensive players on the baseline, the offensive players are all up by half court, and it starts one-on-one. We throw the ball out from the, the baseline up to the top, and the offensive player has three dribbles to score. Okay. And the defensive player has to close out, has to contain that dribble. Now, the offensive player could shoot it if they're wide open. They could take a dribble and shoot. They could whatever it is they want. They've only got three dribbles, though. If they can't score a good shot, and that's something really important. So any coach who wants to use this, tell your players it has to be a good shot for whatever that means in your program. Yeah. Um, otherwise, kids will just throw it up like crazy, and the drill goes nowhere. Right. But you have to get a good shot. If you can't, you need to pass the ball to the second offensive person who's up at the top. And as soon as that ball is passed to the second person, the second defender is also brought into the mix. So now we're two on two. Okay. They have three dribbles at that point to try to score. Okay. If they pass it back to player number one, player one has uh, three more dribbles. So every time they get it, they have their three dribbles. If they can't get a shot off, they pass it to the third player at the top. And now the X3, the third defender, is in the game. So now it's a three-on-three drill. Where it really becomes powerful is they start to realize, wait a minute, I'm guarding X1, or I'm X1, and I'm closer to player three. I can get out there faster than the person on the baseline can get out there. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Yeah, they They cover you know, X one rotates to player three. That means X three needs to find player one because they were left open. Um, and the same thing goes until all five players are in there and the, the fourth and the fifth defender now come in and they might be in the help side. They're not even guarding anybody yet. They, the ball is on the right-hand side of the floor. They know their players in the left hand. So they come in as a help side defender rather than somebody than guarding somebody one-on-one. So Every time you add a new player from the one-on-one to the two-on-two to the three-on-three to the four-on-four to the five-on-five, new concepts in your defense are being added. And it, it takes a little bit in the beginning to get the kids to realize offensively, the more passes you make, the faster you can get more opportunity to score because you're adding more, you know, offensive people to your team. Uh, but the same with the defense, the defense starts to have to adjust right away when they get in. And I feel like that's how it is in a game when your offensive set breaks down or your defense breaks down and you've got to scramble or there's a missed shot and they kicked it back out and you don't know exactly where to go. You've got to adjust to where the ball is and then figure it out on the fly. Matt, so now, the, the player who, I'm sorry to interrupt, but mm-hmm. the player that makes that pass he or she can go anywhere they want. In, anywhere they want. Yes, okay. they they're not stuck in one position. Um, they can they can go to the corner. They can cut through. Um, we we don't do a lot of ball screens in our offense, um, so we don't see a lot of ball screens initially. But you know that would be another option 
that they could they could choose is go up and ball screen. Then you got to how are you going to guard that ball screen? And if we were playing a team that we knew did ball screens and we we're going to do this drill, we would make that an emphasis. Hey guys, we need to we need to set ball screens on that pass back up. Go screen right away so we can adjust to it. So we can add some different things in there like that based on our opponents. Yeah, I love that. And that this is about quick reaction communication mm -hmm. uh, on both sides. Um, you know, spacing on offense after you make a pass, um, all that good stuff. This is a great drill, man. I appreciate yeah. that. I'm going to probably add it in, film it, and send it to you. There, there you Evaluate. go. Evaluate. Hey, well, I'm glad, and if we if we do it, I'll try to maybe get a clip of this out on my Twitter or something, because this is one of the, the um, drills that I probably get asked the most about, especially people who have taken um, – the force baseline course that I offer through my website, they get to this and they kind of say, how exactly does this work? Um, so I tell them well, the next time we do it, I'll get, I'll get it. So now that the season's around and we had, last year with COVID, we had games, but it didn't seem like we ever practiced. It was just <laughs> game after game. And if you got quarantines, you were, you were kind of stuck uh, this year, we get some practices. And so I'll be able to show this a little bit better. And I know you in Michigan last year, I know you guys were, and it was crazy in Michigan for what I mm -hmm. hear, man. So I'm sure you're trying to forget about all that. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're hopeful that we're going to get the uh, the regular season in here. Um, thankful for what we had last year. But, man, it was it was different. That's all, that's all I'll say. It was different. Hey, man, I'm going to be um, – I'm going to go into your website because uh, this is all the contact info and so <laughs> forth. Um, and I want you to kind of share what – if you know, person coming in, they're, they're, they're trying to – see what your website is about. I want you to kind of walk us through. Uh, hopefully it'll come up here a little bit. Sure. Um, but, um, and I'm, I'm really interested. I, I love a lot of your digital products, but I'm very curious on your coaching lab as well. Yeah, well, the, the coaching lab is really just a, a ton of coaching resources. There's videos, um, PDFs. There's a lot of eBooks that I've put together. There's lots of uh, short clips for me. There's some courses. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. Uh, but it's a place where coaches can go in and find what they what they need. Every coach is at a different place in their development. And some are starting out brand new. Some have been around for a while. Uh, maybe you have a new challenge. And my goal is just to help coaches be able to find success wherever they're at in the shortest amount of time possible. Um, the, the members of the coaching lab, they do have access to me. Uh, when they send me questions, you know, I'll send them videos back uh, answering that question. Sometimes we meet one-on-one -on -one with each other. Uh, sometimes it's just emails. It just kind of depends on what's going on with that coach. Um, and I do a lot of work with, with varsity or high school level coaches, but I've worked with youth coaches or people running um, camps in the summertime who that was kind of thrown on their plate. How do I do this? I got a whole section on how to run youth camps. Um, so it, it's, I try to think about what are all the hats that I wear as a varsity coach and what resources do I use? And then I put them inside the coaching lab. There's a drill vault, we call it, uh, with tons of, of drills. You can print them off, you can download them, you can watch videos on, on many of them. They're not videos for every single thing. But I just think what would have helped me the most as a young coach and save me time? And that's what I put inside the, the coaching lab. Yeah, and uh, again, uh, how can, uh, now obviously they're gonna pay for access, Mm -hmm. uh, talk about that and so forth. Somebody's interested in, you know, accessing these, this information. Yeah. Well, well, there's, there's a couple of different ways they can go about it. One is I have a blog up and they 
which are our videos as well as just some you know regular blog posts that I write. And those those are all free. I do a newsletter for coaches. I try to send it out once a week. Being a high school coach myself, having a family, um, I, I don't always get it perfect, but I do try to get it out once per week. Um, and then there is there's the digital products. Every once in a while, a coach will ask, hey, do you have just this? I don't need everything. I just want this one concept. So I've thrown some, some things in there for products that coaches can buy. Uh, ultimately, the the most bang for your buck, so to speak, is the coaching lab because you have access to, to everything. And then there, there are different tiers to that in terms of if you want to purchase it for a year, several coaches do that. That's the cheapest version. And then uh, right now it's $14.95 a month um, if they want the monthly access to it. But you get access to everything. It's not like hey, you get it and then you got to pay for something else and pay for something else. No, it's a, it's a one-time deal. Anything that I've ever put out is inside the coaching lab and is, is accessible. And then again, I'm accessible to them as well so that they can email or, or hop on a call if we need to every once in a while and, and go from there. Yeah, I just want to tell the listeners that um, I'm going to be looking at your zone offense uh, and two-sided break, fast break uh, drills and so forth and concepts. And Hey, before you go, I want you to share with me. I want you to help me out. Hey, I guess you can give me some free consultation right. on stone offense. And that's what um, we're really struggling with that right now. Um, we're not a great shooting team. We're kind of inconsistent, Matt. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, and I run, I, I, you know, and sometimes I think that what teams do is they, they you know, you, you stand around, you pass the ball you know, you know, wing, try to get the high. It's so basic. And sometimes with us, and when teams go man to man, I mean, we're, we're cutting, moving, and our girls are more natural, the more free. Uh, we're struggling against zone, man. Help me out a little bit. Well, with the zone, there's, there's a couple of concepts that I always put in, in the beginning. Um, and the, the first concept is that Obviously, when we pass, we don't want to stand. We want to want to cut through. We want to get as much movement as we possibly can. And then something that I think a lot of players forget about is that short corner. Um, if we can get the ball into the short corner, we can start to flatten the defense. Then we can kick the ball back out, or we can get a skip pass possibly. And and that op that opens up some driving lanes. So when I've had teams that don't shoot well. Let's get it to the short corner or even to the high post at times and then kick it back out and see those lanes start to open up. And now we're taking, you know, 10 and 12 footers rather than taking, you know, a 20 or 21 foot shot, that kind of thing. Uh, when I've had some teams that have been able to shoot the ball a little bit better, pin down screens have always been, you know, our go to. And we've we've done everything from having a, a four out look because we know we're going from that, from having that player at the high post saying, hey, when the ball is on the left-hand side, the defense rotates over, you're going to go find that low player in a 2-3, or you're going to find the person who rotated down in a 1-3-1, and you're going to screen them. And those pin downs have opened up a tremendous amount of shots for us. Yeah. Um, and, and really, we, we teach the players that, you know, maybe aren't the better shooters, this is how you can help us the most is you're waiting for ball reversal. You're waiting for rotation. And th then you're going to kind of circle around or circle back to the backside and you're going to get a pin down screen for us. Uh, that's opened up a lot for our shooters. Now, kind of the traditional sense, we like to go with a high low and we like to try to get the ball into the high post. And then as soon as it gets to the high post, our, our short corner person dives to the rim. 
and we've had some success um, when players start to kind of get the timing on that. The opposite of that is true as well. If we can get it into the short corner, our high post player dives to the center of the rim and we try to, to get them out there. Now, there, there certainly are lots of plays and things that you can put in, but all of those things I just mentioned are concepts that we want the players to do without a play being called. And then the plays, I feel like, accentuate the strengths of a particular player. And that's what we try to do when we add plays. And ultimately, shooting solves all sorts of... Oh, <laughs> it, it's, it certainly does. Uh, and, you know, I've had teams that uh, we've, we've run some plays where we actually will get the wing to go underneath the zone and come right up in the gut of the zone yeah. and get, get the ball. And it might, be our, it might be our two guard, let's say, gets down there and comes right up in the center of the gut of that zone. And we get the, the ball passed into them and we've drawn fouls and we have been able to kick the ball out because everybody kind of turns around. They didn't expect them to be in there. And it, that's worked wonderfully. And then we try that the next year and we can't even make the pass to the guy. It's, 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 a, it's tipped. It's all. So I feel like it's a puzzle every single year yeah, yeah. That, that you're running something. No one thing works all the time. And that's why I say, we teach those concepts first and want the players to get comfortable with them. And then I start to, you know, as, as all coaches do, we try to find, you know, a play or a wrinkle that's going to work best for our teams. Uh, last thing I'll leave you with coach is yeah. um, the, the concept of an exit is something that we've used a ton because in that, what I mean by exit is when your your two lowest players or your two wings, if it's a zone, they actually cross each other. Uh, under on the baseline there in the paint and they go to the other side of the floor so you're two and you're three they're basically just switching spots that has helped us out in getting our offense started the defense shrinks in they follow the player in but they don't always go all the way back out so it's bought us a foot or two of space um, on the perimeter sometimes uh, and it's just a simple concept, but we have our point guard just yell exit. And then we go into whatever we're going into, but it, it's made things so much easier on us than having players just go stand there and wait for it. And we'll use that in our, our man-to-man offense or our zone offense, but it starts to get the defense to shift a little bit. And it, it creates just these little gaps or these little openings that weren't there before. Yeah. I love that. I'm very interested in the pin down uh, and I'll, and I'll check out a lot of your information that you sent me and so forth. I'm very interested on that. My, my best player is a two man for thick, strong girl that mm -hmm. um, we'll experiment with that a little bit. So I'll, I'll send you some clips, man. You coach me up a little bit. <laughs> so I always thought I was a good zone offensive coach until this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I tell you what, and this is with the, the coaching lab or anybody emails me or gets on Twitter. I am always happy. I don't know everything. I'm happy to throw out an idea and hopefully yeah. at least gets the wheel spinning a little bit. And then you figure out what works best with your team. Right. I don't want to sound like I know any, everything about everything. Cause I certainly don't. I, it's just a way to say, Hey, this is an idea. Check it out. If you like it, or you want to tweak it, make it your own, but at least it gets the wheels turning for you. Absolutely. On that. It's, it's about us coaches that all kind of sharing information in our profession. Mm -hmm. I don't think we do enough of that, particularly during the season, man. So yeah. Um, always learning the game, right? Right, Matt? That, that, oh, that's right. I learn something new every, every day. It's, <laughs> it's incredible what coaches come up with. And I think, man, why didn't I think of that? And that, right. that seems so, so great. And they're like, I've been doing this for a decade. And like, it, there's so many concepts and ideas out there that we can learn from. And, and that, that's what it's about. It's a, 
connecting with people and just sharing it. All right, man. How can people get a hold of you and uh, leave us with some final uh, words of wisdom, if you can? <laughs> sure. Well, in terms of getting a hold of me, Twitter is where I spend most of my time. So just at Coach Matt Dennis is the easiest place. Uh, if you head over to my website, CoachMattDennis.com, you know you can sign up for the newsletter as well as there's a, a contact me spot there that you can send me an email if you'd like to do that. Um, in, in terms of you know wisdom. I think the biggest thing that you can do for your players is get them to believe in each other. When a player believes in uh, the person that's standing next to them or the person in the help side rotation, they're going to play harder. Once they play harder for each other, uh, whether you got the most talent or not, you're going to compete. You're going to have a chance to win. So getting your players to believe in each other first is, is, you know, the biggest thing in having some success. Once they do that, coaching becomes more fun. The game becomes a lot easier. Matt, thank you for, uh, for sharing the game with us. I've learned quite a bit, man. So uh, I'm going to yeah. be in continual consultation with you, asking a lot of questions. Sure, I'd love it. Our, a lot of our listeners will as, as well. So, but uh, I hate to leave you this, but go dogs, man. <laughs> hey, we're the Otsego Bulldogs, so I'm going to take that because okay. it, it's all <laughs> about right. the dogs here. So we're on the same page. <laughs> right, right. Even though I'm a big Jim Harbaugh fan, but uh, <laughs> uh, go dogs. But uh, right. Matt, take care, man. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. Coaches, I'd like to welcome our new Championship Vision podcast sponsor, Huddle Assist. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And assists is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stance like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to learn more. Huddle will also be at the Legends at the Grove Clinic on September 12th at Walnut Grove High School in Loganville, Georgia. Come stop by our table to chat and see what we have to offer. At Dr. Dish Basketball, we're creating basketball shooting machines that accelerate player performance. With features like on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball is the number one source for basketball training. Whether you're training in your driveway, running a practice, or developing a workout program, we have the most innovative training solutions to help your players practice like they play. And just for listening to this podcast, you qualify for an exclusive discount. Just mention Championship Vision Podcast to your sales rep when you call in. For more information, visit drdishbasketball.com or call 952-873-2633. Again, that number is 952-873-2633. And remember, be better every day.